Welcome back to another episode of Sharing the Hope from the Micah Mason Foundation. Today we're joined by Dr. Tim Nelson from the uh, HeartWorks Foundation, or is it HeartWorks Foundation or just HeartWorks? HeartWorks. From HeartWorks. <laughs> Unfortunately, I forgot to ask Dr. Tim for a, a bio, so I'm going to let him tell you about himself. Well, Patrick, it's great to be with you and thanks for having us. So I'm Tim Nelson. I'm a physician scientist. Uh, trained in developmental biology and cardiology and have a lab at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And I've also been able to be a co-founder and a CEO of HeartWorks as a nonprofit clinical stage entity that is designed to bring the best ideas out of the lab and bring them to patients affected by congenital heart disease. So thrilled to be with you, Patrick, and thank you for all the educational work you do for this community. It's so important. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. So the, the first question I've got for you is um, someone I always ask is, uh, how did you become involved with the single ventricle issue? You know, I was training to be a cardiothoracic surgeon is what I dreamt of being when I was in medical school. Um, really fell in love with the surgical care of, of infants and young children with congenital heart disease. I was going to school in the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, where at that time there was uh, some of the best outcomes in the world with uh, with the Norwood operation and, and HLHS. So uh, Dr. Tweddle, who has now unfortunately passed away, and, and Dr. Jackwis were the surgeons there that um, who's now in Dallas, um, that, that really inspired me to be in this community. But what was interesting is I was also doing my PhD in developmental biology at that time. And I realized um, through the many hours in the OR and many hours in the lab that we don't do a great job of taking care of kids with congenital heart disease. In fact, I'd even say, Patrick, we're pretty barbaric about it with our surgical techniques. And what we do today is just not going to lead to a cure. It's going to palliate. And we train families to think that we're palliating it, um, but it's it's not yet at the level where we can fundamentally correct, reverse, and cure um, many of these diseases that are really a loss of tissue. So I got into it because I realized surgically I could do it. I'd be I would enjoy that career, but I was really interested in trying to lead the science and development and the innovation to fundamentally drive a new cure. And, and that led us to regenerative medicine, tissue engineering, and the work that we're doing today. So that was back in the early 2000s. And here we are 20 plus years later, doing some of the work we dreamt about doing at that time. Awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about the Todd and Karen Wanak Foundation? Yeah. So Todd and Karen Wanak are an amazing family. They are owners of Ashley Furniture that many of us have seen the Ashley Home stores around the country. They are also well known within their friends and families and circles to um, be a family affected by congenital heart disease. And their daughter, Gabrielle, has HLHS. And because of that, they have invested in a platform at Mayo Clinic to help try to invent and, and develop the cure for congenital heart disease. And so they are the founders, uh, the major investors in the program that also now is the foundation on which HeartWorks has has grown from uh, from that foundation. So Todd and Karen Wanick and their family, uh, inspired by their, their daughter, 
um, are really, really remarkable partners in this community that has allowed us to do things that we simply would not have been able to do any other way. Okay. So how did that take us from like Todd, the foundation, Todd and Karen Wanak Foundation to, you know, what we see today as HeartWorks? Yeah. Great question. So it's been an evolution. We've been on this journey uh, since 2010 when Todd and Karen came to Mayo Clinic and, and asked us what's new. And at that time, we were doing IPS-based uh, regeneration in mice. And that was the basic science research we were doing. And we said, well, if we can do it in this model, why can't we do it for patients? And that is what led us on a journey of launching the first clinical trial in the U.S., using cell-based therapies. We used actually cord blood tissue from the patient at birth, and we are continuing to work on that technology. As we grew, we realized we needed more partners than Mayo Clinic because we needed access to more patients. So we created a consortium. It's now of 11 hospitals across North America. And then with that, we realized that we really needed to create an organizational structure to be able to make this research lead to products that you could envision being available on the market. As we went through that journey, we realized that the for-profit world was not going to be sufficient uh, because the market size was too small for congenital heart disease. So we ended up creating HeartWorks as a nonprofit private foundation that is dedicated to the science, the technology, and most importantly, the clinical trials that it takes to move the science beyond the lab. And so HeartWorks is really a clinical trials platform that works across multiple institutions, including Mayo Clinic, to be able to take the best ideas that anybody has anywhere in the world and get those organized in a way that the FDA will give us permission to do clinical trials in the United States and move the technology forward. So HeartWorks is structured as a nonprofit, but operates as a, as a business, if you will, with the goal of trying to develop products that can fundamentally change the outcomes for children affected by congenital heart defects. Okay. So what are HeartWorks short-term goals? Yeah. So last year we launched at HeartWorks the world's first autologous heart tissue transplant protocol, which that's a big word. So let me explain what that is. I was, I was going to say, I'm going to need you to break that down. <laughs> when you get a heart transplant, it's an allogeneic tissue is the medical word. Allogeneic means it's somebody else's body. You're getting a donor that's donating a tissue such as a heart to the recipient. Um, and that's an allogeneic tissue transplant. And so when we say transplant, we always are referring to an allogeneic transplant. Because of the technology at HeartWorks and what we've perfected over the last decade is we can take a piece of your skin, we can reprogram it into your beating heart muscle, and we now have permission from the FDA and the clinical trial is active at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where we can make your heart muscle in the lab and we can transplant it back into your heart with the hope of making it bigger and stronger. So this is autologous tissue, meaning it comes from yourself and it's genetically identical to you. So Patrick, obviously the, the dream of this technology is the technology could ultimately rebuild heart tissue with genetically identical tissue to your body and never need immunosuppression drugs. This is really the, the game-changing technology in regenerative medicine that many have been working on for the last decade 
but we have the world's first FDA permission to actually do this in clinical trials. That would have never happened without HeartWorks, without the nonprofit platform that works across institutions to do that. So we're super excited about having that world's first clinical trial. And now we're um, really focused on in the next 12 months of educating people about this trial, educating who's eligible for it, and then working through it with individual families and individual patients of how we can support those pioneering individuals to be part of these world-first clinical trials. And, and that's a process that's quite fascinating when you get into it. Okay, so you're taking a piece of somebody's skin and you're, how does that work? <laughs> how do you get from point A to point B? <laughs> So the so it's a nine month process that I can I can tell you about in thirty seconds, right? So there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. First and foremost, it's a team of dedicated people in the lab that work seven days a week for nine months to make that process happen. So it's really about the people in in the lab and their dedication that's the key to this process. The biology is actually pretty simple. We take a, a small piece of skin typically like a biopsy you'd have if you're having a, a mole removed on your arm or something like that. It's a small plug of, of skin that we collect. We cut it up, we grow it out in the lab. And just like your skin will heal from a scar tissue, these cells will grow on plastic plates in the lab. And they're called fibroblasts. These are your cells that grow out of your skin that are designed to heal your skin if you, if you cut yourself. These fibroblasts grow out, we collect them, we freeze them, we store them. We then use those fibroblasts to infect them with uh, new genes that are transiently expressed, and these are called reprogramming factors. And the reprogramming factors train those fibroblasts from your skin cells to become what you look and feel like when you're an embryo. So it reprograms your fibroblast back into what's called a pluripotent stem cell, or in this case, an induced pluripotent stem cell. That's a fancy word to say that your cells have been now retrained to think and behave like they were when you were an embryo. But they didn't create an embryo. They didn't destroy an embryo. They simply are going back in time to remember what they were like from the very beginning. They're genetically identical to you. That's the second stage. And then the third and final stage is the fun part. That's where we get to see the magic happen. That's where we train those stem cells to now become a heart muscle cell. And in embryonic development, the heart is the first organ that develops within a few weeks of fertilization in the developmental process. So we use those signals and clues to make these stem cells now learn to behave and function like a cardiac cell. And what is really fun is under the microscope, you can start seeing the beating, contracting heart tissue that is literally being formed as we, as we do this third and final process of converting them into heart muscle. Then we freeze them, we store them, we do all the safety testing, we do all the infectious disease, all the things that we want to make sure didn't get introduced or propagated. And those then are available for us to take into the clinical OR thaw them out of the vial, load them into a needle delivery device, and actually inject these seeds into the patient's heart with the goal of it engrafting, growing, dividing, and expanding the heart muscle tissue that is not working properly for these patients. So 
It's a nine-month process from a skin biopsy to stem cells to beating cardiac tissue. And then it's a surgically delivered product into the heart muscle. And you're how far along into the trials are you? So we are recruiting the first patients to be part of this trial. So we are at the very beginning of the, of the very first clinical trial. That's an exciting place to be. The next challenge that we, that we face is, you know, how do we um, identify the right patients that meet this? We're clearly not going to do this in healthy patients. We're clearly not going to do this in patients that have good options. We're going to do this in the patients because it's the first time it's ever been done in patients that really don't have very good options. Um, in other words, that don't have any options at this point, but they have to be healthy enough and able enough to participate in the research. So it's a, it's a very fine line of finding the right patients. They have to be 18 years of age or older and have a heart disease that's preventing them from living a high quality of life and, and a heart disease that's preventing them from being a good transplant candidate or other medical interventions. So we can go into the details of that one-on-one with patients and families that are interested because it gets very technical and very detailed, but that's where we're at. We're searching and identifying and communicating with families right now. It's a big process. I don't know if you, Patrick, have ever been asked to be part of a medical research study that's never been done before to be the first person in the world, but I think you can probably imagine the type of feelings and emotions that that might provoke and that's the interesting challenge right now is that's where we're at with this field. We have first in the world opportunities to do something new, but we're also asking people to be the first in the world to do something, which is a, it's a big ask. Yeah, I can imagine. There's a lot of unknowns and I mean, that can be scary. Totally. I can only imagine how scary it is for patients. I can tell you how um, scary it is for us as a team, right? I mean, there's a lot of unknowns and we do everything we can in the in the lab testing, but there's a big step between going from the lab and the clinical trial. And that's what we've done hundreds of times at HeartWorks. And we have a team of people to help us do this. And that's what HeartWorks really allows us to do is, is make that leap from the lab into clinical trials, which is not easy and trivial to do. What are some of the long-term goals that Heart, HeartWorks has? If getting this this first FDA study off the ground is... is sort of the short term, what are the long-term goals? So we like to say our mission is to cure congenital heart disease. We don't have an exit strategy. We have a mission. What I mean by that is we're not here to develop a technology, a product, sell it to the highest bidder and commercialize it and, and be done with our leg of the relay. If we did that, we recognize we would fail because the market is too small and and that's not the way this world is going to to work. So we've taken on the mission to cure congenital heart disease, which really means we need to bring all technology available to us to clinical trials and stack those technologies together to fundamentally make the pump failure of congenital heart disease a thing of the past. How do we regrow and re-strengthen the heart? So we like to say at HeartWorks, we build hearts. What we do is we build hearts literally in the lab, as I just described to you. So what's the what's the cure? I mean, if we can take a heart that's weak, not pumping enough blood because of its lack of tissue, and we can stack technology on that from maybe it's a device for a short period of time. Maybe it's a it's a fertilizer of cord blood or bone marrow or other types of stem cells that help the heart stimulate it through its its initial challenges, but then maybe it's also um, these bioengineered tissues 
that allows us to be able to rebuild the heart. So our long-term vision is, is a world where patients born with congenital heart defects are not dying because of congenital heart defects. I like that. That's a good, I like that mission. It's <laughs> a good mission. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a bit audacious. I get that. And, you know, sometimes people hear it and think, ah, oh, you're, you, you know, you guys are peddling hope to people that is not realistic. And I don't believe that. I, I believe that this is realistic. I believe that the science and technology is available to do these things. And, uh, it's maybe less about the science and technology to cure this disease and perhaps more about building the team, the structure and the incentives to be able to get the technology that we do have available to us into the real world. And, and again, that's, that's what the HeartWorks platform is designed to do is not only be the science needy geeks and nerds, if you will, of, of the <laughs> science, but also be the, the, the business side of this and, and be really honest about what it's going to take to uh, to get this out of the lab and into into the clinic where it's needed to to make the impact. So it's a, an audacious goal. There's no doubt about it. But we are we are super excited and super motivated that that we're building a team of teams to do this. Good, good. So, what do you personally hope to accomplish through HeartWorks? I personally want to be um, led by the smartest people in the world and inspired by the patients that are affected and do my part to to meld it together to be able to seriously say we we cured this disease in, in our lifetime. So as a physician scientist, you dream about doing these things, Patrick, right? You dream about being part of science and technology that makes a difference. The reality is most physicians live in a world where they're they're cogs in the wheel and they have to turn the wheel and, and, and do the patient care, the standardization of care. Um, and I'm grateful for those colleagues that do that. Me personally, I get bored by that. Me personally, I get really excited about completely disrupting what we do as standard of care and, and fundamentally do it better and different. And that's a long road. It's a painful road at times. It's a slow road, but I think it's the right path for us with the right time that we're at in, in the history of this um, technology and disease that I personally uh, see me being led by brilliant minds and inspiring patients to, to be able to pull this together. Good deal. Beyond the, so you mentioned the cord, the cord blood study and the bioengineered stem cells, right? Yeah. You know, we, we, we're struggling to call it the right thing. So you're, 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 uh, you're, you're maybe you can help us get the right name for it. We, in inside of our team, we commonly refer to it as the bioengineered heart tissue, um, but okay. you know that's a big word that doesn't mean anything. Kind of a code name we've used for it is your heart. We we build your heart is what we do in the lab, and so you know that's in, in contrast to the cord blood, which isn't your heart. It's it's really a fertilizer that we put into your heart. So it's fertilizer on one hand for cord blood, and it's your heart, um, literally your heart that we're growing in the lab in the bioengineered process. Okay. Besides those two, are there any other products coming down the line, so to speak, or that you're interested in trying to bring out of the lab into a production space? Yeah, that's a great question. So we recognize the long road of this tissue engineering, bioengineering, right? And so 
the cord blood and the bioengineer are kind of the core sweet spot of what we do. There's two things on either end of the spectrum that we're also working on. First on, can I call it the simple engineering side of the spectrum? We think that there needs to be better mechanical pumps. There are simple pumps that are not designed for congenital heart patients. And so we've recognized this gap and we've recognized that the economics of the corporate world, the for-profit world, are probably not going to be able to solve this. Um, If they could, they would have. The technology exists. So we are starting to work more and more with um, device manufacturers, companies, inventors. And we do think that there's some interesting mechanical devices that are not permanent solutions, but could be bridges and could help bridge us from where we're at today to where we need to be. So I would suspect in the coming years, you'll see us supporting and sponsoring clinical trials that are designed to bring better devices into the congenital heart world. And so that's really exciting. And I can tell you those things are going on right now in the animal lab. And we've got some crazy, creepy, cool data on some of the pumps that are that are working that we're not quite ready prime time to show to the world, but we are, are definitely working in the lab and, and have some a huge confidence that is building on, on that side of the spectrum. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I just told you we have your heart muscle in the lab, right? Your beating heart muscle. And I told you we're injecting it with a needle into your heart muscle. Well, there's a lot of things that we could be doing with this uh, to create a better form factor of this technology, minimally invasive deliveries, maybe other patient populations. But now let me tease you with something that, you know, we didn't invent this idea, but we're going to make this idea real. And that's a beating contracting conduit. So taking this contracting tissue that we're injecting into your heart, there's ways that you can imagine bioengineering this contracting autologous tissue into a conduit that can go into, let's say, the inferior vena cava position or the total caval pulmonary circuit, and it sucks blood out of the livers and pushes it into the lungs, creating the subpulmonic pump that's biologically, genetically identical to your body that grows with your body. Um, That sounds a little Frankenstein at some level, but um, we do believe that in the next five years, that this should go from prototyping into clinical trials with, with where not only our manufacturing is at with ourselves, but with where partners are at with, with other technology that we can align and work collaboratively. Yeah. And I mentioned you need um, some pretty good cellular scaffolding to, in order to build that kind of a thing and make sure it's stood up. You know, we use Gore-Tex right now, right? We use, we use materials that are not biologically native. And so There's decellarization technology, there's biomaterial technology from other animal sources, or even just bioengineered from synthetic biology. All of those are are options that we need to uh, work collaboratively with, with people that own that technology and put it into a form factor that you can start imagining being a second heart. So we take your heart tissue and we create a second heart that can pump at low pressures and, and move blood forward and for single ventricle heart patients, this truly does become a curative strategy. So recognizing the time, recognizing the grandiosity of everything we're aiming to do, we're trying to put together a portfolio from mechanical devices to fertilizer to your heart tissue to even engineering new constructs and conduits 
that are now possible with where the technology is at. Yeah. And I would say, to be honest, it doesn't sound Frankenstein to me. It sounds science fiction to me, which I guess Frankenstein kind of is, but (laughs) it very much sounds like kind of, you know, where a lot of science fiction authors sort of thought we would be in the, you know, near future, 2030s, 2050s, that kind of time frame. It's Um, totally true. I mean, it's what was a science fiction before theoretical is now becoming possible, right? And that's clinical trials, right? That's what it takes to, um, to be able to get that technology into clinical patients. And we can only learn so much in the lab. We ultimately have to have the pioneering families that trust us, that recognize the importance of what we're trying to do together and go through that journey together of, of how do we start doing more clinical trials specifically focused on congenital heart patients, right? It's no longer good enough to let technology be developed for for old people with acquired heart disease and then think we can repurpose it for younger congenital patients. We have to be intentional and purpose-built. And, and that's, um, that's what we believe HeartWorks is creating a, a platform to be able to do. Yeah. That's an interesting corollary because, you know, that was something they took for tube feeding, tube weaning in a lot of these kids is they use the sort of guidelines they had for adults who had to have a tube placed and how you could wean an adult off of it. And what they found is that that process doesn't work for kids. We had to go back and create a whole new process for children to make the tube weaning work. And so I think you're entirely right. I think somebody who has a, uh, an acquired heart disease is not going to, whatever product we develop for them is not going to be a one for one. That's right. Um, so we, we found a way to try to articulate this. We, we call it the reverse innovation model where most innovation today for heart disease starts with the acquired heart disease, the big markets, the, the places where billions of dollars can be made. And that's where people chase the money, if you will, because um, that's what big companies have to do. They have to return r- resources back to their, to their shareholders. But if we reverse that model, almost reverse innovation, what needs to happen is let's start with the rare neglected diseases that have the highest risk, the worst outcomes, the biggest need. That's congenital heart patients. And let's start there and build something purpose-built for that. When we do that and when we win that, if you will, that same technology can quite easily be scaled up for acquired heart disease. And that, that can recycle resources back into our focus of carrying congenital heart disease. So we refer to it as the reverse innovation model. It starts with a nonprofit. It starts with products being developed for congenital heart disease. And when that wins, we out license that, we scale that to larger markets so that we can recycle proceeds and continue building and scaling the, the congenital focus. We're not aware of anybody doing this for congenital heart disease. And we think that is ultimately the fundamental problem of why technology has moved slowly in the last 30 years for congenital heart disease. So we're excited about that model. And I think we're building a lot of engagement in the philanthropic community and the investment community to figure out how we can stitch that model together and and grow upon what we have right now. Very good. Let's say I'm a parent and I'm just getting a single ventricle diagnosis. What sort of advice would you have for me? Be careful where you get your information. Dr. Google is not necessarily a good thing. And we all say this and none of, uh, none of the families follow it, right? We all say um, 
don't go to Google and search because you're going to hear the horror stories and you're going to hear all the, all the negative things out there. You can find that quite easily if you look for it. You got to reach out to people like you, Patrick. You got to reach out to people that are in the field. Find a Facebook group, find a tribe, a community that can be your support system and, and, and rely heavily on them for the information that you're most interested in because there are horror stories out there, no doubt about it. This is not a, a diagnosis that anybody wants. This is not a diagnosis that anybody asked for. Um, but we can address it. We can do things. And, and the outcomes have only gotten better every year in the last 20 years. And they're, they're going to continue to get better. And groups like HeartWorks are going to continue to work night and day to make the outcomes even better. So, you know, do your homework with people you trust um, and be careful with what you let in as your information. I think that's probably the most important thing. Patrick, ultimately what that does is it, it, you're, you're controlling your mindset, right? If you let your mindset go where Google takes you with casual internet searches, it's going to take you to a dark, <laughs> dark place. And I don't think that that's, that's an informative, empowering decision-making place. So uh, control your mindset by who you let uh, feed you information. And, and there's great information out there. There's great support groups. There's great people. Um, you can find them. You just got to go find them. Good. So let's say I'm a, I'm a patient or I'm a parent. I've just listened to this and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I want to help. I want to get involved. What do I do? Yeah, you know, there's... There's lots of things you can do, but the ones that I'm most familiar with, right, are, are what we're doing at HeartWorks. And um, we, we would, we've got a team of people that are, are families, our patients themselves that we can help connect you to so that you, you can get started and, and feel a place. So we'd, we'd be happy to help new families um, make that initial connection. We'd also love to have come do a lab tour. Sometimes when you come online, do a lab tour, it's a virtual lab tour. Sign up for a lab tour, actually see the team and meet the team that's working on this for your son or daughter. I think that can be inspiring and, and hope and give you hope that there's a team really committed and focused on, on the conditions that you're, you're fearful of. And then there's many events, educational events, fundraising events, other things that, that we're organizing just to help build the community out and keep people updated on the progress that we're making. So I'd say reach out to us at HeartWorks and do a lab tour and, and let us learn how we can best support you. But there's many, many groups on Facebooks and, and there's many, many groups that are, are local to you that uh, can create some great um, contact points. And I just can't emphasize enough how important I think it is for families to be connected to their peer group. Awesome. Okay. So this is a question I usually end with. I don't, I don't prompt uh, because I'm, I'm interested in what comes off the top of your head. So your Mayo, where is the Mayo Clinic exactly? Just So I live in Rochester, Minnesota. Rochester, Minnesota. If I was to find myself in Rochester, Minnesota, where would I need to go have lunch or dinner? Uh, lunch or dinner in Rochester, Minnesota, you should go to Chester's. 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 It's a great name. Okay. I I, uh, I love Chester's because I had a dog named Chester, but I also love the food because they got great rotisserie chicken. So it's a downtown Rochester. It's a, it's a great place. And a lot of our families and friends that come to town end up loving Chester's. Chester's. Okay. Good deal. I like it. <laughs> 
I remember that. Eventually, I'd like to come out and actually do like a for real lab. I don't know if you guys are doing those again, but you were prior to COVID doing like a real lab tour. You know, we we called it uh, Feel the Beat is what we did here in Rochester for uh, many years. And then prior to COVID hit and we kind of stopped doing it. But stay tuned. Um, we are going to create Feel the Beat um, at, at a location near you type of thing across the country. So it's kind of hard to get into Rochester, Minnesota. And so we're going to we're going to start doing those type of lab tour, feel the beat, get people behind the scenes, show you what we're doing and, and do it at our consortium site. So we don't have the schedule to announce yet, but stay tuned, stay connected with us because we, we, we think that this could be a really exciting opportunity to bring that on the road and, and get it closer to families in multiple areas across the country. But also because of COVID and our virtual world, uh, we've got a great virtual lab tour that we can get people connected and uh, get people behind the scenes. So we can do some pretty cool things, but it's still fun to be person to person and see people. So anybody that does want to come to Rochester, Minnesota, we would love to host you, show you our lab, meet the team and get you behind the scenes. So that that's a standing invitation for anybody that does want, that finds themselves in the area or, or wants to come to the area. <laughs> Good deal. Awesome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I can't wait to see you guys go on the road. <laughs> it's fun. And you know, what's really remarkable, Patrick, is the, the one of the biggest things I learned at Feel the Beat that we did in the years past was families meeting other families is so critical. I mean, there were a number of adult HLHS patients, or I can't even call them patients. There are a number of adults that are, are affected by HLHS that met another colleague, a peer, a friend, that had their same condition for the first time in their life and they were adults. So there's nothing more powerful than peer groups getting together. And the second thing I learned in there is nothing more powerful than our team that is working night and day for this vision to become a reality, to actually sit down and have lunch with a patient, with a person, with a family. Um, these are the superheroes that motivate us to do what we do. And the more we can connect the team with the families, the more inspiration we all get. So um, thanks for bringing that up. And, and thanks for talking about that because it, it, it helps us prioritize the, the importance of it. All right. Well, did you have anything else you wanted to share about HeartWorks? No. Um, uh, we, 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 we shared it all, but, uh, come follow us, follow us on social media and uh, reach out to us and let us know what we can do better. I mean, it's quite remarkable to us of, we have the world's first clinical trial. We've treated more patients with stem cells than everybody else in the world combined. And yet there's still plenty of people that don't know that we're, that we're out there working for this community. So I appreciate you and I appreciate the education, appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. But I encourage any of your listeners to uh, connect to us, get our newsletter, follow us, and, and keep us um, keep us inspired by why we do what we do. You're very welcome, and thank you for everything you do. Awesome to see you, Patrick. Good to see you, you too, Dr. Nelson. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, dear listener, for joining me for this episode of Sharing the Hope from the Mike and Mason Foundation and our conversation with Dr. Tim Nelson with HeartWorks. If you'd like to find out more about HeartWorks, go to heartworksinc.org. And if you'd like to support the podcast, head to micamasonfoundation.org and click the donate button. Thank you. Thank you.